0: You're listening to the Wesley Seminary Podcast. Your host today is Dr. Aaron Perry, Associate Professor of Pastoral Theology and Leadership. We
1: all know there's a lot of wrong with the world, so much that it can be daunting just to know how to get started. Where's the help? How can we know how to get started? What's our next step? How do we not just settle for a start, but move into creating and achieving effective change? There are a number of organizations that can help us do just this, but one that I appreciate is the National Association of Evangelicals. And today's guest helps us to understand just what the NAE can do, how it can help us in this very important work that we are in, whether it is engaging public policy or whether it is leading a local church or both. Today's guest is Stephen Eng. Stephen is the advocacy director for the NAE. Stephen has been involved in local church ministry He's been involved in organizational leadership and he is here today to talk to us about well complicated wickedness and complex goodness those are some of the things that we'll talk about today as we talk about poverty and marginalized voices as we talk about what we can do to affect change and what role the nae can play in supporting us in those endeavors stay tuned for a word from our sponsor and then enjoy the episode Wesley Seminary prepares Christian leaders to engage in missional ministry locally and globally through fully online Masters of Ministry, Masters of Divinity, and Doctor of Ministry programs. Learn from professors who will help you grow in your knowledge of scripture, theology, and church history with the goal of applying what you learn from the local ministry. Journey with a spiritual formation cohort made up of students from around the world that take their own ministry experience and challenge you to sharpen your ministry skills and deepen your spiritual formation. Wherever you are, in whatever way you serve in ministry, we want to serve you. We are Wesley, and you belong here. Well, welcome to the Wesley Seminary Podcast, Steve. It's great to have you with us. Thanks, Aaron. Public policy. We were chatting a little bit before coming on the air about what this is, and maybe it means more than what it communicates, or maybe it means exactly what it says. But that's really wanted to what I wanted to ask you about, like what is public policy. But before getting into that, just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're up to, what your role is, and then answer for us. Well, what is public policy, and what does that mean?
0: Yeah, I serve as advocacy director for the National Association of Evangelicals, so I represent the policy work that the NAE does to pastors and church leaders around the country i'm also working on mobilizing pastors and leaders one of our taglines at the NAE is influence for good and so that means really that we remind pastors and leaders that they have probably more influence than they realize that that's a gift that god has given them and how can they steward that influence for the good of the nation for the good of the kingdom and so i'm mobilizing people to use that and to specifically interact perhaps with government officials, people who can enact policy change in mostly in Washington, D.C., as we are a national organization that works mostly in federal policy.
1: Right. So as a national organization, the public policy you're interested in is national policy, right? Policies that are influencing a wide amount of people. Now, we're going to we're going to come to this at the end. To come back to your tagline, influencing for good and what that might mean. Let's stay broad for a little bit. How does the NAE come up with its policy and tell us a little bit more about how it does
0: work to affect change? You know, we believe as evangelicals that everything flows out of our faith and everything flows out of the scriptures. And so we, as we study the scriptures, we find things that are important to God's character, to God's heart, and what that means to be Christians in our world today. I just had a conversation yesterday with Dr. Joanne Lyon, who is at many, who are in the Wesleyan world know, and uh, she had worked with others back in the late 90s and then in the early 2000s. And Joanne just told me yesterday, she said, in fact, she felt like it was really important that the NAE had sort of a, a filter or uh, some guidelines uh, for talking about policy that we could, that we could speak in a unified voice. So they developed a guidebook called For the Health of the Nation. A Guide to Evangelical Civic Responsibility. And out of that really are eight different priorities that the NAE works on. Uh, Everything from safeguarding the vulnerable and the sanctity of human life to racial justice issues, uh, supporting marriages, families, and children, and so on. A lot of things that that people would associate with evangelicals and then things that perhaps they wouldn't, like racial justice issues or um, creation care, for instance. And so that's really our guidebook that we stick to. And then out of that flows as issues come up. Developing more specific policies, policy approaches.
1: I really like the document. I really like "For the Health of the Nation." I've used yeah. it in a number of settings. I just pulled it up on my computer, so you can get it for free if you just do a search for NAE for the Health of the Nation, and we'll put that in the show notes yeah.
0: or forthehealth.net.
1: It just covers protecting religious freedom and liberty of conscience, safeguarding the nature and sanctity of human life, strengthening marriages, families, and children, seeking justice and compassion for the poor and vulnerable preserving human rights, pursuing racial justice and reconciliation, promoting just peace and restraining violence. That's when I really appreciated the language that, that had been developed around that and caring for God's good creation. We've talked about a number of these things here at the podcast, and there's scriptural references and there's theological rationale for each one of these important issues or issues that are important to evangelicals. So you said that you, your research comes out of scripture. There's obviously theological reflection as a, an organization that values theology. How else do you, are you doing research? Are you engaging with other people that are experts in the fields? And how do you connect with them to affect some of the change in these areas that you believe evangelicals should be seeking?
0: You know, for the last 15 years, uh, my boss, Gail and Carey, our uh, vice president of government relations, has been a one man show, really, as far as uh, doing the DC facing government relations. And so, a so series of different networks that he's developed. Certainly, the NAE for 80 years has had some policy. Work, um, but he certainly developed wide ranging relationships across political parties with think tanks, public policy experts on various things. Different things come up in culture. For instance, now with the Dobbs decision in Missouri or Mississippi, that has led to new reflection on what does it mean in a post Dobbs context to support, for instance, mothers and kids or make abortion less thinkable. And that's in dialogue with the culture. For instance, some who would say, well, evangelicals. Are anti-abortion, but are they really pro-life? Or maybe they'll do a diaper drive, but are they really going to support, you know, moms and kids, you know, over the over the lifetime or raising that child? And so, out of that that context, you know, come new um, policies or approaches. Our board just approved a statement back just a few weeks ago, actually, a document called "For the Health of the Family," because it's now a time where people are asking those questions in new ways. And so we have sort of new approaches. And uh, and then we have resolutions or statements that are presented to our board, which is between 70 and 100 people. And so they vote on statements um, that then sort of solidify our policy perspective that then we advance uh, with members of Congress or just talk about to pastors and leaders around the country.
1: I think it's so important to be reminded that evangelical is a big tent. When you've got 70 to 100 board members, they're representing a variety of denominations, variety of historical traditions, but yet find some common ground in these convictions, right? And right. how we can be for life, how we can be for justice, how we can be for the good of our societies that, that we're in, and leveraging our shared convictions altogether. Doesn't mean there's always going to be you know lockstep agreement and yeah. everything and yeah. all the wording, of course. But I think that what is one of the benefits of an organization like the NAE is it, it helps us to get what the, the high points are. Now, I'll just share a little story for me. I was uh, doing some work out of the country and had a chance to speak to another person who was, I think, doing some vacationing at the time. And we just started chatting over breakfast. His second or third question to me was, what do you think about abortion? Just like that, right? Just just right out Mm -hmm. of it, right? And so we went into the conversation. And I'm I'm grateful for the opportunities I had had to reflect on. And no doubt for the health of the nation had some influence on me because I've read the document a couple of times and use it so many times in class. People really do care. They are interested, and as Christians, as evangelicals, we need to have a a willingness to hold and to communicate our convictions clearly. Let's shift the topics a little bit. So I read off a, a number of issues that the For the Health of the Nation document talks about, and of course, one of them is seeking justice and compassion for the poor and vulnerable. So I'd love for you to talk to us about, well, working for the poor and vulnerable, about poverty issues how has the NAE been working
0: on this topic? You know, some of what I do when I'm out in the field talking to pastors and leaders is to say that the ministry that you are doing at the local church level is essential. And and the church does so well in relational ministry, in proclaiming the gospel, in discipling people, and that is really part of the poverty work. And then churches do a really good job, many of them, in compassion ministries to, you know, feed the hungry and provide clothes for those who need clothes or housing or or all of those issues. And so they're really important issues. Uh, But at some point you run up against issues that are so large and even sort of structural to our society that they require policy changes to those. And and I've even talked to uh, directors of faith-based nonprofits who are helping me understand just the complexity of generational poverty. And so there's many things that feed into that. I've done recovery ministry for years, worked with ex-offenders. I know that all of those factors play into poverty. But at the NAE, we say, well, what are some public policy things at the federal level that could really make a difference on childhood poverty, on, on thriving families? And again, there's hundreds of policies as we talk to our different Partners, uh, I'm in a post-Dobbs working group with people who tend to be on the more conservative side who are pro-life. But we're talking about things like a Pregnant Workers Fairness Act. You know, how can we help, you know, or we're working on a paid family leave because those who are lower middle income working, say, retail or fast food jobs, maybe working two or three jobs. If that person gets pregnant, then they may at the most get a couple of weeks of paid leave. So, as evangelicals, we say, well, sometimes a parent needs to be home with the kids, or, or you know, or we need to find childcare. All these things, and a, a policy like just better paid family leave could go a long ways towards helping those. The signature uh, effort that we're mostly working on is at the NEA we try to find things that are effective, and have broad-based support, that tend to be bipartisan in nature, and that there's evidence to prove that. And because I can't talk about 20 different poverty policies when I'm out at an event or talking on the phone, you know, what's one or two of the most strategic things? And we think that to find some form of a reinstated, expanded child tax credit would be enormously helpful. And its sibling is the earned income tax credit for childless workers. But when that was expanded in 2021, that lifted 4 million kids out of poverty. Evidence has just come out. The childhood poverty in 2021 was, was reduced anywhere between 25 and 50%, depending on what part of the country. So it's enormously effective. And for those who would object and say, well, people are just going to waste that money. We now have evidence that nationally, 91% of people used that expanded child tax credit money for basic essentials or for education. The occasional person may have bought a flat screen TV or sent their kid to Disney World, you know, and the ones who did do that tended to be middle to upper middle class families, but the poorest families really use that for essentials. So we're finding that something like that reduces toxic stress in the family, helps families thrive. I talked to one nonprofit leader who said, well, because she works with ex-offenders, she said, well, maybe the children of an ex-offender might actually want to play soccer one season, like all the rest of the kids play soccer. You know, maybe that's just enough for that to happen. So, um, and what's interesting is it has broad bipartisan support. It originally was a Republican idea. Well, the expansion came from the Democrats in the White House. There are six Republican senators who have their own version of an expanded child tax credit out on the table with intriguing policy differences. Um, Actually, three Republican senators I have a proposal that the benefits kick in halfway through pregnancy to make abortion less thinkable. You know, There's variations. The Democrats' plan is fully refundable for those who are the poorest of the poor, because prior to 2021, and now again this year, the poorest of the poor get no child tax credit because they don't make enough money. There's a lot of nuances to these conversations, but at least for elected officials, we say, in the broadest sense, this is a very valuable policy. And we think that You need to work across the aisle to work on the, come up with the strongest possible policy that would, that would help the most amount of people. So we don't get into the deep weeds as much as just to say that our elected officials need to work on this because it is effective. It is proven and it doesn't create more government programs. It really just lets people uh, do what they think is best, which is for those in our audience who are more conservative, that's a high value, you know, the autonomy of the individual and to, and they can use that for faith-based preschool, or lots of different things. I
1: really like that you brought this into the local church and we're affirming and validating the work of the local church in alleviating some of these challenges. And then you used a a phrase, toxic stress. Mm -hmm. How are resources being given to the family to alleviate toxic stress, which can lead to violence and abuse, neglect, overwork? variety of challenges it brought me back to a phrase from john wesley when he talked about complicated wickedness and he said uh, the variety of factors that go into systemic injustice right that's a, yeah. a word that people can be uncomfortable with but yeah. it just means yeah. like yeah. complicated wickedness right the injustice that is that has a number of factors to it so he listed injustice coming from spiritual unhealth cultural and personal lack of access to resources so we've been talking mm-hmm. about financial resources relational resources sometimes people just don't have somebody to call You know, we're talking about childcare. Some people live near mom and dad or uncle and aunt or cousin or grandma, but other people don't, and they don't have relational resources. He talked about embedded social norms. So just what are some of the things that people are used to doing or not to doing? And he can think about generational poverty, right? People get used to having certain mindsets. And he also talked about willful ignorance, right? People are happy to not make changes. I've heard you say, well, the the church is addressing some of the complications with this, right? As Mm -hmm. they're providing opportunities for for right worship, as they're providing mercy ministries, all of this plays a role and a factor in addressing issues. So it really is a both end, right? Absolutely. It's a policy and creating resources and working with our government officials and also doing the work of local communities. And so for pastors empowering their church, both programmatically, but also as the people in the church, such essential work. This is where I'd like to bring my last question yeah. to you. Talk to that pastor who is just feeling maybe a little worn out with the good. Greg Okison says it it takes complex goodness to address complicated wickedness. Complex goodness is tiring. Talk to that pastor who is just tired of the complex
0: goodness that they're trying to see happen. I have been there and I'm still in that because besides working for the NAE full-time, I do pulpit supply and I'm I'm involved in my local church and and talking about starting an evangelistic ministry and You know, I think that these public policy issues, especially most pastors, are not equipped or have the tools or the time, and I think information overload is a huge issue for many pastors. So one of my personal missions is to try to make public advocacy as simple as possible, and sometimes, and pastors are also looking for preaching resources and stuff. So sometimes as I go around the country, I say, you know, go to our website, nae.org, and then go to the resources section, and you find tons of videos and webinars and articles and things that maybe will help you to address these issues. But then we have an advocacy center we've developed online. So if you do want to write a letter to an elected official, um, you can simply put in your name and your email address and it automatically addresses letters to your members of Congress. We already have sample letters for like eight campaigns. So those campaigns rotate. So if you read it and go, that sounds good to me. You can just click send and you've, you've done your, your job. Or if you say, no, I would nuance that letter differently. They're fully editable and you can say whatever you want to, but we're just trying to reduce the barriers of doing some things you wouldn't do otherwise. And I tell pastors, if you could give us 15, 20 minutes, twice a year, you know, if you're in the advocacy center, we have your email. We'll maybe send you a couple emails a year. Not, not a lot, but there's something that's timely that now's the time to act you know, and here's what you could say, or here's a campaign that you could look at and send a letter. We want to make that easy. Or, you know, the occasional pastor. And there's a movement around the country to build relationships with between pastors and elected officials. And, and we applaud that. That's awesome. You know, and if you want to actually meet with your member of Congress or their staff. As a pastor, I thought that was just overwhelming. Well, one called us to say, you know, how would you like to, you know, how can we help you? We can help set up those meetings. And another very effective way to make change is uh, for pastors and leaders to write an op-ed in the paper. And between ourselves and our partner organizations, such as um, our friends at the Evangelical Immigration Table, which is a broad coalition and many evangelical organizations, we can help you write an op-ed. And you can say it in your words, but we can give you examples or ghostwrite half of it for you and you write the other half. So there's ways that we can help you exercise more influence than you might think you have. And uh, and we just delight in helping do that.
1: I want to commend to our listeners again for the health of the nation, talking about complicated wickedness. This is a document that wrestles with the complications of the interactions of these different subjects and how they relate to one another. At the NAE, of course, you're trying to do the work to have these broad views so that you can see how different issues interrelate with one another, how you can build coalitions to make real difference. And I really appreciate the resources that you're making available, not just the, for the health of the nation, but as you just expressed to us here, the letters that are available and other educational materials and advocacy materials that can help to fill in some of the gaps that people that have a heart for their community, have a heart for their state, or for the nation can access them. Thank you, Steve,
0: for sharing that. Absolutely. If I can add one thing. You know, one of the things that the NAE can also help with is we can be a convener because we are a big tent. And so, as I go around the country, we love to plan events with local partners. And so, just an event we did yesterday here in Indiana. The joy was we had a nonprofit leader, we had two nonprofit leaders uh, who talked about their ministry in poverty and immigration. And then I talked about some of the policy issues. But in bringing together, we had 40 people at that lunch to see people look at each other, talk to each other, field questions from the audience. And then people stayed for a long time afterwards because they were so excited to see like-minded people. And to see that synergy happen, we've seen that again and again. So if we can be a convener for people in a locality to say, hey, you know, there's more we can do together. We're better together. We'd love to be helpful in that regard, too.
1: I participated in a webinar that the NAE had put on for Indiana, and one of the other Presenters on the webinar was a man named Tim Street, who is well versed in issues of poverty and ministry. And I learned so much from him in his conversation. And I was able to find him online. I was able to have learn even more from him. And so the yeah. NEE did that for me, just yeah. introducing me to somebody that I didn't even know existed, but yeah. had a wealth of information and had shared convictions that wasn't giving facile answers or just superficial talking points yeah. to complex issues, but had some actual tested and well-grounded biblically, and theologically sound, and firm convictions, practical aspects that emerge out of those for a really important subject of, of poverty, and helping to strengthen families. So I know that that the NEA has done that for me, and I'm confident it can do for others as well. We'll put your email in the show notes here, Steve, Perfect. and I'm sure people can reach out to you, and you can, you can direct them to the right person. want to draw listeners' attention as well to the Wesley Seminary Podcast, episode number 67. So we're going back a couple of years for it, but we had Carey on oh, the yeah. on the podcast. And so take a listen to that. And also one of my favorite episodes, if I could say that, they're all my favorites. But one, yeah. one that I really enjoyed was with Reverend Bernie Haddad, who started a prison ministry. Talk about just practical, effective people to avoid recidivism. There really is a, a heartbeat, I think, for a lot of our listeners to be effective and to be having a faith that is fruitful and bringing good to the world. Steve, thanks so much for taking the time to share with us and to contribute a little bit to those efforts today as well. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. You make conversations like this possible. The Wesley Seminary Podcast exists to introduce topics and resources for fruitful ministry, and I trust we have done just that today. Thanks, Connor, for your production work. You're a great teammate, and I really appreciate you. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Trust you all to have a great day.
0: Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the name Wesley Seminary.